Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat, Boston Sports Podcast. And on this week's episode, we're going to be looking at the Red Sox-Tampa Bay series and looking at the Patriots versus their Houston Texans victory. And then the Red Sox uh, next uh, matchup, and we'll be looking at the um, Celtics versus the uh, Toronto Raptors and looking at um, what's going on with the Celtics. So... Let's start with the Red Sox because it's a lot going on. So Red Sox, when they beat the Yankees, were going into a series in which there was really not many, uh, you know, people who believed they could get out of the first round of uh, this playoffs against Tampa Bay. The Devil Rays were the best team in baseball in the American League and had arguably some of the best players, um, the best pitching staff in the American League. They were a good team despite... Having three rookies in the you know starting rotation, you know they had some great players, and the Red Sox came into this with the you know chip on their shoulder because they were throughout this season sort of counted out. They were up and down and all around, and then they come into a series where they're seen as the underdogs. The first game was unfortunately as expected. Tampa Bay won five to nothing, and it was uh, McClanahan who pitched five innings and got the victory. For Tampa Bay, Eduardo Rodriguez started and lost 1.2 innings pitched, two earned runs, 1K, two base on balls, and we saw at the end of it what was the Red Sox losing. Red Sox had uh, nothing really going for them. You know, their pitchers weren't that great. I mean, they saw Rodriguez, Richards, Pavetta, um, Taylor, Ottavino. Wasn't anything special. I mean... You know, McClanahan pitched five innings, and then we saw uh, Chargios, Robertson, and Firesign as the pitchers for Tampa Bay. They just couldn't get it done. Red Sox just couldn't do what they needed to. Cruz had an RBI. Diaz had an RBI. Uh, we saw an RBI from Franco, Rosarena. So it went from what was as expected with this uh, first game to what was probably not as expected, which is the Red Sox won 14-6 on what was, to me, a very good game for them. And we saw Tanner Hook, five innings pitched. He got the victory. Connor, or, or Colin McHugh, uh, three earned runs, 1.2 innings pitched, pitched. He got the loss. Red Sox had Chris Sale for an inning. Tanner Hook did five more. Brazier, Robles, and Barnes. Um, we didn't see a lot of Barnes in this playoffs uh, so far. But uh, he was uh, at the end of their lineup. We saw three RBIs, five hits for Hernandez, who was probably one of the best players and one of the best averages for this series in both sides. Devers, two RBIs, one hit. Bogarts, two RBIs, three hits. Verdugo, two RBIs, three hits. Three RBIs, four hits for Martinez. Two RBIs and three hits for Christian Vasquez. Now, I'm going to be honest in saying that I think Hernandez and Vasquez both should get some sort of medal for being the two best players, in my opinion, throughout this series. Red Sox had 14, 6 uh, Tampa Bay, um, 4 for Lutlow, 1 for Diaz, and 1 for Choi for the RBIs, and that was about it. It was a good game for the Red Sox, tying the series going home to Boston in what seemed like a little bit more of an even match situation than what was uh, once before. Now, at this point, I personally thought the Red Sox were going to split the series and it was going to go to five games. I thought they were going to win one and lose one, 
uh, obviously, uh, it was a much better outcome because we have game number three, which there's a lot going on. Game number three was probably the best of the series just based off of everything going on and because it was an extra innings game. So Red Sox got the victory 6-4, to four, but it wasn't an easy victory. Uh, Nick Pavetta, four innings pitched, seven Ks. Uh, Patino, one uh, in a third innings pitched, two earned runs, one base on balls, no Ks. We saw an RBI for Schwarber, two for Hernandez, one for Devers, two for Christian Vasquez, uh, and for the Tampa Bay Devilries, one for Franco, two for Meadows, one for Arozarena. Now, the fun really happened in the sort of end of the game. So we get to the eighth inning. Red Sox, I think, were uh, at this point uh, up, and then the Tampa Bay Devilries scored two runs to make this a 4-4 game. Uh, ninth inning, nothing happened, and we have to go to the 12th inning, or I should say the 13th inning at this point, where there was a runner on first base, and Kiermaier is at the plate, and the ball is hit into the outfield. It bounces off the wall, then bounces off of Hunter Renfro, then bounces into the outfield stands, and so basically by this point, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, the guy who was on base was Diaz, and he was already home. He was already at home plate by the time um, everything happened. And what the end of the result was, all the umpires got together and unanimously came together and said that this is a ground rule double, which, because the fact that Hunter Renfro didn't actually force the ball out of bounds, he didn't do anything, it just hit him and bounced on its own, most people... Uh, don't really know this rule, and it's something I didn't really know, but uh, it's something that doesn't happen too much, but he didn't, you know, force this to take place. It just happened based on where the ball went. He was going to try and get the ball so he could, you know, maybe try and throw the runner out at home or at least keep the runner from going home, you know, but the Red Sox obviously got a break. Uh, afterwards, uh, they showed uh, Kevin Cash the replay, showed him the rule, told him the situation, and he agreed that, yes, Hunter Renfro didn't actually like touch the baseball and didn't actually try to force the baseball out of the stands. It just happened organically. So the end result was momentum was still on the side of the Red Sox and Christian Vasquez next inning um, when the Red Sox were up hits a two-run home run. So there we go. Red Sox score and it is a series lead, 2-1. to one. And they go back home for what was game number four. So this one was also a very close one. I will say it was not extra innings, but the Red Sox got it done when they needed to. And so it was a 5-6. Uh, to six. Uh, It was a victory for the Red Sox, 6-5. to five, And uh, it was a good game. So Red Sox got five of their runs in the third inning. And then we saw the Tampa Bay Devil Rays creep back from the fifth inning, sixth inning, and the eighth inning, tying it up in the eighth. And then we go to the ninth inning where the Red Sox had what they needed to do, which was, at the end of the day, uh, get the job done. So I'm pretty sure whoever was um, at the plate first, which I think it was Christian, uh, I think it might have been Christian Vasquez. Um, basically, uh, they were uh, throwing to first, and what ended up happening was that Franco threw to first base and it went over the first baseman's head into the stands, which caused the runner to go to second base. So at this point, 
the Red Sox ended up getting the play that they needed. And then the runner was moved up from second to third base. Santana came in and pinch ran. And at the end of the game, that's what you needed. And he scored. Pop fly. Obviously, Santana's running, going home, and that's game. So the Red Sox went from being the underdogs in this series to winning this series against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays and moving on to take on the Houston Astros. Now, this is one of those series that you're expecting to see because as much as the White Sox versus the Red Sox would have been a good one, there's a lot of story behind the Houston Astros and the Red Sox. Both teams have, you know, within the last five years, won a World Series. They both have, you know, history of playing against each other in the playoffs. Recently, the whole sort of Alex Cora saga, the fact that he was there in Houston, then came to Boston, and then he was implicated in all the Houston scandal and then came back. I mean, the Red Sox basically traded away their whole outfield and ended up with, you know, their coach gone. And then they bring him back. The coach is here. They add some other players. Renfro comes in. You know, Hernandez comes in in free agency. They trade for Schwarber, who wasn't even a first baseman, which was someone that they needed. And he's done fairly well. And, you know, they're a great team. Verdugo stepped up. Uh, Schwarber obviously stepped up. Devers, Hernandez, all everyone stepped up. Bogarts, JD, Renfro, Vasquez. I don't think... Outside of maybe, I guess you could say, um, their second baseman, Arroyo, I don't think you can say any of their other players actually like did bad in this series, and I think they all stepped up when they needed to, getting base hits and home runs and what they need to do. So Houston series will be great. Obviously, Red Sox have um, a few days to go. Friday is when Game 1 starts, so Monday was when it ended. They have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to uh, rest, recuperate, and get ready for the game against Houston. Obviously, uh, Uvalde is their best pitcher, so he's probably going to be the guy who gets the start, seeing as um, he is uh, definitely going to be available, and who knows what's going to happen. Now, I think for this next series, they're going to have to do some sort of pitching situation with Pavetta, as the starter with Yavaldi and Rodriguez. And then I think Chris Sale is going to have to be sort of like another option just on the, you know, back end of the bullpen because he's not 100% ready yet. Hook is probably going to be a starter. Um, he's probably going to be your four. You're going to have Hook, you're going to have Pavetta, you're going to have Rodriguez, and Yavaldi is your ace in the hole with Chris Sale sort of as a potential ninth inning pitcher potential, you know, if they need to, you know, go into extra innings and they need someone who's got a little bit more, you know, of a uh, longevity to the uh, amount of innings he can play. I wouldn't be surprised if that's where they go. But I'm happy, you know, they're a good team. Playing a good team, it was a good situation. Patriots taking on the Houston Texans. Patriots taking on a victory. This was a victory among victories, by all means. Um, it was one of the better games they've played um, at the end. It started out rough and rocky. And so it was by halftime, uh, just looking at the score sheet, 15-9 uh, to 9 Houston, and then 22-15 uh, to 15 at the end of uh, the third quarter. And then at the end of the game, we ended up seeing the 25-22 victory on a field goal that got it done, um, for sure. 
So, um, yeah, they were a team that that looked good um, at the end. And, I mean, I got to say, Davis Mills was pretty solid. 21 of 29, 312 yards, three touchdowns. Not too bad at all, to be honest with you, if I'm saying it myself. Mac Jones was okay. 231 yards, 23 of 30, one touchdown, one interception. Not awful. Not the greatest. Not awful. You have New England with their rushing touchdown, the lone rushing touchdown from Damian Harris, who might be out um, with an injury. We have on the other side no rushing touchdowns, but Mark Ingram had 16 carries and 41 yards. Damian Harris, as I said, might be out. Obviously, James White is out right now. Their running back group uh, is a little shaky, so... I look at Houston, who has bo- uh, both Mark Ingram and Philip Lindsay, and they also have David Johnson. I could see the Patriots potentially moving um, a deal or getting a deal done for maybe David Johnson, maybe Philip Lindsay, someone if they need another running back in there, because um, that's maybe something they'll have to look at. Because let's face it, Rondre Stevenson's a rookie. Brandon Bolden is a little washed up. He's great on special teams, but can't really do too much as a running back. So if those are the two guys playing, you're in a tough spot. But the Patriots, um, obviously Damian Harris, touchdown, not too bad. Uh, Receiving yards, Hunter Henry was the big man on campus. Six receptions, 75 yards, one touchdown. Jacoby Myers, four receptions, 56 yards. Nelson Aguilar, three receptions, 32 yards. John U. Smith, two receptions, 27 yards. Other side, Chris Moore, five receptions, 109, and a touchdown. Chris Conley, three for 84 with a touchdown. And Anthony O'Claire, one reception, 11 yards, one touchdown. Fumbles, Damian Harris fumbled and lost it once. And Chris Conley fumbled and lost it once for Houston. And interceptions was only one Lonnie Johnson Jr. of the Houston Texans. Kick returns, punt returns. We saw Gunnar Ozowski, three kick returns, 65 yards, and one kick return for 13 yards for a punt return. Kicking, Nick Foles was as good as you could get, 4 of 4 for field goals, and his long was 52, and 1 of 2 on extra points. And Kyram Fairbay was pretty bad, 1 of 2 field goals, and 1 of 3 extra points. So, Houston's kicking was not special. Houston's punting wasn't that great either because Cameron Johnson actually punted it off of his player's head. One of his teammates got the the, the punt, so uh, not good there. But Jake Bailey was um, one punt, 58 yards. Uh, so the Patriots ended up winning this game. Patriots ended up um, improving to a 2-3 and three record, which is second in the AFC East behind Buffalo and we go to the Dallas Cowboys how about them Cowboys 56% chance the Cowboys win according to ESPN's matchup predictor 43.7% chance the Patriots win 0.4% chance they tie so um Dak Prescott um is uh he's he's okay you know he's got um a pretty good um record of um passes um and you know actual attempts uh 122 uh 165 1368 yards 13 touchdowns three interceptions compared to uh 135 of 190 1243 yards five touchdowns five interceptions for mac jones which not the greatest numbers but it is what he is 
Ezekiel Elliott is the leading rusher with 85 carries for uh, 52 yards, 5 touchdowns. And Damian Harris, 63 carries, 230 yards, 2 touchdowns for the Patriots. And then when it comes to receiving and CeeDee Lamb for Dallas, who was a very good draft choice for them in the first round. 24 receptions, 348 yards, 2 touchdowns, whereas Jacoby Myers, he's the leader in the pack. 31 receptions, 302 yards. Um, I guess uh, that's where he's at. No touchdowns. Now, moving on to the Boston Celtics, we have some big news. Al Horford has tested positive for COVID-19, and he will be out for 10 days. He didn't travel with the team to their next uh, and final preseason game to October, um, and it's Orlando with the Magic again. He is uh, the second player to test positive behind Jalen Brown, um, and um, before training camp started, head coach Ima Udoka ended up getting a test positive. Um, for coronavirus. So moving on to the Raptors, 113-111 loss. The Celtics winning this game. It was um, it was uh, a good one, I'm sure. Uh, I didn't actually watch the game, but just looking at the stats, Tatum had 20 points, six of 15 from field goal, five um, for six free throw rebounds. We saw Anis Cantor 10 rebounds. Six of those defensive, and Tatum had seven assists, uh, and he had six uh, turnovers. Looking at the box score for the Boston Celtics, and I guess we can also look at the Raptors. Celtics starters, Tatum, 20, seven assists, nine rebounds, 16 points, and uh, we saw um, three rebounds for Al Horford. We saw two, five rebounds for Robert Williams. We saw nine points and two rebounds, seven assists for Marcus Smart. And Romeo Langford, 13 and 2 rebounds. And Grant Williams had 12 off the bench. And 10 rebounds, 2 points for Cantor. Pritchard had 11 and 5 assists. And um, I think uh, Richardson had 7 points. Other side of the ball, Toronto Raptors, 13 and 13 for Precious Achua. 17 and 5 rebounds for Ananubi. 9 uh, points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds for Scotty Barnes. Drogic had 6 points and 22 for Van Bleet, with 12 points off the bench for Mikhailuk, and Trent Jr. had 14 off the bench. So that is where things sit. So the Celtics have uh, two uh, victories in their preseason, and that is that. Um, Celtics also probably got some tough news with the fact that Ben Simmons has somehow changed his tune and went from I'm not coming and I'm not playing to I'm coming back without telling anyone. So now Ben Simmons wants to mend fences with his team in uh, Philadelphia. Maybe they'll feel the same way, maybe not. I think Philadelphia 76ers fans have been sweating bullets ever since Ben Simmons said he wanted nothing to do with his franchise because they knew, as with every situation, that they're not going to get the best player in return. And odds are Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal is not going there. They're going to have to take some sort of cut package. That might actually be solid, but it's not a win-now package, and they probably wouldn't like it. So, at the end of the day, I guess that's not good news for Boston, because as much as I don't want to see an NBA team go through that struggle, it would have helped the Celtics, because it just would have meant more dysfunction and confusion in the Philadelphia 76ers locker room. Now, obviously, I don't know if this is just him coming back for right now, or if he'll kind of dip out 
and not even play. I guess he wants to change his tune and come back and practice and is ready to go, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully uh, they can figure it out because, you know, that's a big, big issue if Ben Simmons decides he doesn't want to actually fucking play. And I don't think they would really, uh, really like it if um, he just sits all uh, season. And I don't think they really want to trade him either because, like I said before, they probably won't get as good of a package in return. So we'll see what happens. Maybe Ben Simmons actually plays this season. Maybe he gets hurt. Or maybe he just says, not for me, and walks away.